You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey guys, welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practices Show podcast. I got a special one for you today. One of my dear friends, one of my earliest mentors in dentistry, Dr. Gary DeWood is on today. Gary taught me a lot. Gary is now at Spear Education. He continues to teach a lot and influence so many dentists, and you're going to see why. And today he poses the question, whose mindset needs to change first when all things considered about optimal dentistry insurance included? Great question. Also shares some revealing stories I've never heard before. These are really good. So hope you enjoy the episode. We'll see you guys soon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. And uh, I'm so pumped you're here for a lot of different reasons because if you're new to the podcast, you know this is our game. My job is to just bring you great thinking from great leaders, great coaches, great mentors to help you create a better practice and better life. And I got a special, special episode today. I've got one of my dear friends on who, thank God for this great man, because he has helped me in so many different ways. Dr. Gary DeWood from Spear Education. And Gary, thank you for being on, man. I really appreciate you. Hey, it's a joy to be here. Any chance I have to spend some time with you, Kirk, is is good time in my life. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, you're very kind, but like my first experiences with you going down to the Panky Institute, I mean, first of all, I'm not a smart guy, so I had to take a lot of notes. And then I would pull you aside and go, can you explain what you just said for the last hour? And it's really fun. Even now asking you questions, you're such a good thinker and you're such a good guy and you're all in on helping dentists create a better life. And today we're going to be talking about... If you want to change the mindset in your practice about dental insurance, whose mindset has to change first? I love this topic. So you're going to explain what that means. But here's where I want to start, Gary. I love you dearly. And a lot of people listening already know who you are. But I have a lot of young listeners now and dental students. Who is Dr. Gary DeWood? If I've never heard you before, who are you and what do you do? All right. So I I guess what I would say is this. And thank you for all those, you know talking about all the people that you have on. And then I would say, and and I always have considered myself, I'm just a dentist from a small community in Ohio who got to meet the right people at the right time when my ears were open in my life and other opportunities became available. I got an opportunity to go and chase my dreams. 
I practiced with my wife in a very small community. Cheryl and I graduated together and had a practice in a town named Pemberville, Ohio. Um, wonderful little burg, 1,200 people, uh, about 45 miles southeast of Toledo. Uh, one of the fun things in both our lives is we've both been able to chase our dreams. Actually, this is kind of an interesting little story that not everybody knows, even those who know me. On the day that I was invited to come down as clinical director at the Pankey Institute, uh, it was the same day that my wife had been invited to be a resident in an orthodontic program and a fellow at the same time in that program. And both of us were kind of chasing our dreams. And I deferred mine for a while so she could go do that. And then that opportunity repeated itself. I, I, my plan was to stay behind and sell our practice in Ohio. Cheryl did her ortho training at the University of Tennessee in Memphis. Um, and the thought was that she would we'd be staying in Memphis because they really want hoped that she would come and want to teach. That was, yeah. and Cheryl's always been very academic. Yeah, you know, I, I say I say this, and I everybody thinks it's a joke, but there's a lot of truth in this. And I say I'm, I'm lucky that I married her, and because of regression to the mean, my kids have a chance <laughs> <laughs> on their IQ levels. Absolutely, I have never thought of myself as being that smart. And, and I realized that to a lot of people, you know, people tell me, God, you're smarter than you think. And I say, well, that's, that's a good thing. I hope I spend the rest of my life feeling that way. Because <laughs> as soon as I think the other way, I promise you, I'm not going to be willing to listen to things. And everything I got, I, I got from somebody. You, know, you say you got a lot from me. You, you never underestimate what I was taking from you at the same time. Because I think back on those days. And I think of all the skills you taught me, not the least of which was an ability to listen and to hear. And I, I saw that exemplified in you so well that I stole a lot of the things that you ask because I, I just listened to things you asked. And I said, my first thought, of course, was why does he want to know that? But that became pretty clear if I was willing to listen longer. So yeah. with that, um, Cheryl, well, when she did that, I stayed behind to sell the practice. And when it was sold... I was planning to move to Memphis, but I didn't have a Tennessee license yet. And so I was planning to take boards. And when I was making that plan, which had been like a year earlier, I got a call from the president of the state dental board in Tennessee, who had been a participant at the Pankey Institute when I had been there as faculty. He found out that I was, I had written in and got an application for licensure. And I was just having to take the board to final, finalize it. And he said, don't take the board. We're changing the law in Tennessee to allow licensure by credentials. I want you and Cheryl to be the first dentists who apply. Wow. He said, because this will, there's nobody here who doesn't want you to have a license in Tennessee. There's probably nobody on the planet who doesn't want you to have a license in Tennessee. And so that would make the, so what I had is I had, I had six months of life where I would have no dental license in Tennessee. Uh, I got a call from one of my, my mentors, Erwin Becker at the Pankey Institute, and told me some things were changing. And uh, the thing they had done a couple of years before, um, that person had decided to go on to another challenge. And would I be willing to rethink my coming down to the Pankey Institute as a faculty member? And I said, well, I'm kind of in a process of doing this, but I can give you six months because I was done in Ohio. And so I, I moved. Um, I stayed five years. Mm -hmm. So let's just say I've been able to chase my dream. Cheryl was able to chase hers. Uh, when Cheryl finished her orthodontic program, they did actually make her the clinic director in grad ortho. 
and and Jim stayed the chair, but he, he asked her to join full time and be there to teach people. And so Cheryl was living in our home in Memphis. I was living in our condo on Key Biscayne. Um, I left Panky in 2008, and there's lots of reasons why that that happened, but let's just suffice it to say it was time for me to move to a different thing. And so I wound up up in Seattle where I joined Frank Spear. Um, he was practicing with Greg Kinzer and they were teaching together. And so I went and joined them. I did get to practice some in that practice. I'm not a prosthodontist, but I was invited if I wanted to see patients that Greg, it was Greg's practice at the time, Frank technically is the associate. And they welcomed me up there, you know, to come and do things. And then I taught with Frank. And then we moved that whole business. We merged it with a place called the Scottsdale Center, mm. which had been created by a, a, a group, Mercer, management had created this education facility. They did split that off eventually and it wound up we wound up merging those two companies together. And so I moved to Phoenix and I've been here teaching with Spear Education ever since. I have a very limited practice on on our campus. Um, it, it's kind of fun. And actually I was talking to somebody this morning. One of my favorite things to talk about and maybe we can get into this because the whole mindset thing is, is is something that will change your world. Yes. And my belief many years ago, I learned that there's only two kind of patients who ever came to my dental practice, two and only two. There are people with significant issues and people who believe they're healthy. And as soon as that was my belief, I was able to identify as people were coming. And today, I don't have healthy patients who come to my practice. So you can't just call and make an appointment. I have almost all dentists. I have a few who are family members referred by dentists, but it's usually dentists who are looking to do something. And one of the things I love to say in facially generated treatment planning when I get to talk to people about this is we, we take photographs in that and people get their own photographs to look at. And I say, if you look at those photographs and you see anything that you would want you to know about if you were your dentist, you should go and be a patient. Mm -hmm. Don't be a dentist getting dentistry done. Just don't do that. You want to be a better dentist? Go and be a patient. Yeah. Sit down and be a patient and tell the dentist you go to I'm here because I trust you and I want to be a patient. And that's how I want the interaction to be. It will change everything you do if you do that. So, yeah, that is powerful. Uh, yeah. So we, uh, I've been here ever since it's, it's been really, really fun. I'm having a great time and the pandemic history, notwithstanding, we are still here. And actually lots of people are coming to workshops. We only ended those for about six weeks. We had, they were very limited. We had very small groups, but we had people who were coming. And it's it's been fun as we're all working our way back toward what is normal now, because we are all in the middle of creating a new normal. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, you were, me. you were one of the first people. And actually, I think we had you on the first day or the second day of our COVID conference. And I'm like, Gary, where are we going? He was, you're like, we're we going to be okay. Thank, thank you. I was, I was honored. I was honored that you called and asked me to do that because I, I loved, it was fun actually to share. And what you discovered is what we discovered because we specifically aimed what we were doing at some of our practice solutions clients where we did a daily thing. And it, it amazed me afterwards when it kind of came time to end as with you, the number of people who sent us comments about how that made it possible for me to be okay. Mm -hmm. and, and I realized and maybe just it reawakened or let me hear it more, how important it is to interact with people on a regular basis about everything we do in life. Yeah. That, that loss of that ability was profound. 
Yep. And it was neat. Anyway, thanks for asking me. You know, and as Cheryl likes to to say, and I agree with this, everybody's into everybody's entitled to my opinion. Right, right. And today we're going to ask you about that. I love that. You see, Cheryl's, you know, hey, never question your wife's judgment. She married you. You know what I mean? Like my, everybody says good, that to me. Good you know, point. Like, yeah. Good so, point. and she's a wonderful, incredible Although human sometimes, being. Sometimes that's a reason to, to question it. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, but you don't want to go down too far down that road. But uh, <laughs> I know you know you don't want to be you don't want to be her you know second guessing anything. Um, and uh, as always, I enjoy my time with you, and you guys are going to see because Gary's such a great thinker. I mean, I get something every single time you and I connect. Um, you always leave me in a better place thinking more clearly. And you actually teach an incredible course at Spirit Education called Facially Generated Treatment Planning. And while you can get in all the technical pieces, one of the things that you teach is like mindset and helping patients say yes to this. So talk about the origin of this whole conversation. You're going to be doing this course at an upcoming Spear Summit, uh, and it's the mindset thing. So give us the why before we get into the how. Why is this topic so important when well, it comes to this? Well, there's a couple of things that I, that I learned early in my career. There's only two kinds of patients who come to my practice. Mm -hmm. They're either healthy or they have significant issues. Right. Now, that's a belief. And, and the fun thing about that is, because when I, when I first talk about this and I say, those two patients are coming into the practice differently. And so what we decided early in our career was to design two different experiences for those people and lead them to each of those. Healthy people, we decided, um, they, want, they really want to meet a periodontal co-therapist, what you might call a hygienist. And, and by the way, if you want to change how people think about something, one of the easiest ways to begin that process is to talk about it differently. Right. And then people ask questions and they go, mm -hmm. what's that? Mm -hmm. So they, they really want to see a hygienist. That's why they think they're calling. Yeah. And we decided that we're going to hear that those people are healthy and we're going to tell them that's what we hear. And so Lisa, who answered the phone for much of my career and talked to people, she decided that the question, because she came up with this question, and somewhere in her initial conversation with people, she would say, what significant dental issues are you having to deal with right now? And people would tell a story or they would say, well, I'm really none. I, I mean, I really just need a new dentist. And however, whatever followed from that. And then what she would do is she would say to them, wonderful. You know, Dr. Dewood's practice is specifically designed to help people with significant dental issues. But we always make room for healthy new patients. We love healthy new patients. She would use the word healthy as much as possible. Any explanation about what was going to happen, it's explained as a healthy new patient exam, healthy new patient visit during your healthy new patient time with us. I mean, she would use the word healthy a whole bunch. Love it. So the patient had heard that word. They're going to hear it again when they show up. When they show up, the hygienist who is working with them is going to go out and introduce, in my world, I have yet to work with a male hygienist personally in practice, so it was always her. She would say, for instance, you know, good morning, Kirk. Um, actually, she would have called you Mr. Barrett until you said, call me, Kirk. Yeah. Because I didn't always have on merit name you like to be called. Mm. We did add that later to our history because it made there life you. easier. Most people, most people, most people were not... They didn't want to be called Mr. or Mrs. Right. And if they did, they would write it on there. <laughs> so, so she would come out and she would say, you know, this is a later one, you know, Kirk, welcome to our practice. 
My name is Robin. I'm the periodontal co-therapist that practices with Dr. Z. Wood. I'm going to be leading your visit today. We love healthy new patients. Welcome to your healthy new patient visit. Now we're going to go back and sit down. We're going to do all the stuff we normally would do with a new patient who is expecting to have prophylaxis, which means, does that mean that if they didn't have prophylaxis or it wasn't prophylaxis, what, would you do prophylaxis if that's not what you're supposed to? No, nothing else changes. We just know who walked in the door. Right. I know what their belief is about themselves. You know what the fun part was? Because this is what comes up whenever I talk to dentists about this. Yeah, but what if they have this? What if they have cavities? And I say, okay, this has nothing to do with what they have or don't have. Right. Totally about their belief about who's what, who they are. Right. And then they say, well, yeah, but don't they, you know, don't they ever say anything? And I say, well, yeah, actually, this is a fun response because what they'll often do is when they hear the word healthy enough times, they go, well, I do have this. Mm -hmm. Can't you just? <laughs> they just told me that problem is insignificant. Right. It's not significant in life. Here's the difference between a significant and an insignificant problem. No human being will ever claim a problem as significant unless they're looking for a solution. They won't. I promise you that. Which means that this was a powerful thing. When, when we had the party when I was leaving, I'm moving to Florida. And we're throwing a party because Sean, who had been in the practice, and I was with him for about 10 months after he bought the practice. Interestingly, I did almost no dentistry. My, my role there was when people said, well, it's time to get done if you're leaving. And I say, well, it was time to get it done before I left. Mm -hmm. but now is the right time to get it done because you're ready. And I got to tell you that Sean is your dentist to do this. You, you know what? You're going to do this with Sean. Yeah. He's incredible. You're going you're gonna to enjoy being with him more than being with me. In fact, I'm going to come back here someday and you're going to go, who are you? Because mm -hmm. that was my job. Yeah. And I believed in that job firmly. And I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to do it. Um, the, you know, the whole thing about... It's when a patient is ready, if you will. So Lisa says this to me. She said, I don't know if I ever shared this with you. In the last 13 years, there's not one patient who answered my question with a story who did not schedule the comprehensive evaluation visit with you or Cheryl. I said, nobody? She said, nobody. They all did. Now, some of the people who called and said they just wanted their teeth clean by the time we were done talking and they're telling me all the things that they did have after they heard healthy, they decided to come for that too. Yeah. But it never went the other way, ever. Now, that was really powerful for me because yeah. I realized, here's what I looked back at. I, actually, I told people this. I met two people who changed my life very early in my career. I met Jim Pride when I was a fourth-year dental student. Mm -hmm. And- the reason was that we were allowed as fourth year students at Case, we were allowed time away from the clinic for CE things if we could fund them. And, you know, and they said, we, 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 we're going to encourage you to go do this. So the Pacific Institute was coming to Cleveland. Awesome. So they were downtown Cleveland. That's what it used to be, Phil Whitener and Jim Pride. And they're coming to Cleveland. And actually, Jim was the only one who came for this one. He was the only one going to be there. So I called them and I said, do you have a, a student rate? I'm a dental student at Case. You're coming to Cleveland on this date. I'd like to come. And the lady at the other end of the phone goes, oh, you're, you wanna, you're a student and you want to come? I don't know. She said, could you hold? So I go and hold. And probably about eh, 40 seconds later, click, voice on the end of the phone. It's a guy. Mm -hmm. And he says, are you a dental student? 
yes. And you want to come? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he said, good, just come. I want you to come. Um, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to hand the phone back to somebody who's going to kind of take your name and stuff so we get you on the list. But when you get here, what I want you to do is you're going to come and when you check in, I want you to immediately come and find Jim. Okay. Yeah. So I go and I show up and I sign in and I, I walk in. I actually didn't have to walk in. The person said something to somebody else. And the next thing I know, this big tall guy walks out mm -hmm. and, and, and he had and doing my thing. And he says, are you Gary? And I said, I am. He goes, I'm Jim Pry. Takes his hand out and he says, come on, I'm going to show you where you're sitting today. That's <laughs> awesome. And he set me next to him at lunch both days. That's awesome. And you guys were friends for years, years and years, weren't you? We were. With If you knew Jim at all, all of his best friends had a period of time when they weren't talking to, you weren't talking to each other. Because Jim had a, had, a, had a notorious temper and sometimes he would forget. And, and I asked a question one time. There was a point, some of you who knew Jim or knew the whole Pride Institute thing, if you're listening to this, will remember the time when more than... It was 75% of the, of the practice management consultants who were working with him decided to leave. I, you told and me about that day. Big, you were in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, well, no, this was after they left. I was in the room when I asked a question about it. Now oh, okay. I'm in the room and this, everybody knows that all pride clients, everybody knows it. And Jim had said, we're done. We, you know, we got a few minutes before we break for, so let's just open the room to any questions anybody has. And I said, okay. One of the things we talk about is building an environment for our teams that make them never want to leave. Why did 75% of your team decide it was time to be done? You... I will never forget this because he, he didn't answer me right then. He didn't answer. <laughs> he sat down on the edge of the bench and his face started getting red. His ears got red first. And, and then he just started kind of contorting his face and he stood up and he walked out. And then every, all of us in the room, you know, there's like, this was actually, it was all, it was couples. Cause when you went to these things, both the, the doctors and their spouses, if they weren't, even if they weren't involved in the practice, they always encouraged those people to come along to these because it was all leadership stuff. And um, everybody in the room kind of was looking at me and I said, I thought it was a fair question. <laughs> and I, he, he didn't say any words to me for about a year. Okay. And we finally, he came up to me at something we were at and, and he came up to me and he said, I have to apologize. And I said, nah, I had learned by then to understand who you are. And I didn't take it negatively. I got that it was all about you and not about me. You said that, that was the him? truth. You said yeah, those, wow. Was the truth. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't hold it against him. Yeah. It wasn't about me. It was about him. That was all him. And, and we had a wonderful discussion about it. It was at that point in time for him. You, I, I realized this in hindsight. That my point was I just recognized I didn't do anything wrong. He invited any questions. I asked it. It had to be all about him. It was something that about him. It, it turned out that at that point in time, he was feeling like a failure. Really? Because of that. What did I do or not do? And, you know, you know, stuff just happens sometimes. And it was a conglomeration of things. Yeah, he had a role in it, but so did the fact that a lot of these people were the kind of people who want to drive their own train. Mm -hmm. 
wonderful. I mean, those are people you want around you, but it can be hard to celebrate when they leave, especially in something when it happens like that. Right. But I think about it this way. I mean, one of my proudest things about being in practice is that there were, I think, six dental hygienists and two dentists who came out of our staff, people yeah. who were on our team yeah, and went on to better things. And let me tell you one of the worst things to hear in the world. What? I'm a wonderful dental hygienist. I got into dental school. Great. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm so. How do you not celebrate that? And inside I'm going, oh, damn. Yeah. You have to celebrate that. <laughs> I hope we can find another you. And I know yeah. we can't. We'll find some. And actually, the one person that I think about in that regard looked at me and said, well, you know, you're going to find somebody better. Yeah. Because that's what happened when I came. But you never do. You think, oh, I'm never going to find anybody better. You know, You'll never. And you never think that. And you never do. If that person was the right person, you find somebody. Right. And that, actually, that's another one. You know, right now with this big deal, the, the right people were clamoring. I mean, the right people were looking for situations like that. Yeah. So, and I forgot where this all started. It was the whole Jim Pride. I also, the other person I met, I have to say his name. I met him when I was a resident and I went and I spent three days in Cincinnati listening to Pete Dawson. Yeah. And I developed a relationship with him because at the end of that day, he had said, anybody who wants to have questions, I know it's over. I'm happy to, you know, we got to get out of here, but I'm happy to talk to anybody. And about 15 people went up by the front and were hanging around. And so we asked this guy who was taking tables down. He said, is there any place we can go sit down that's kind of out of the way for you guys? The guy pointed at the closet where they had rolled all the tables out of. So Pete walked in there. Yeah. And he sat on the floor. And I know nothing. I mean, most of what he said was so far over my head. I was just like, duh. Yeah. And I went in and I listened and he sat in there until they kind of threw us out and said, well, the party's going to be starting in 40 minutes. And so we, we do have to. And he said, well, okay. He said, you guys come tomorrow. Let's talk tomorrow. I called Cheryl that night and I said, for most of today, I had no idea what this guy's talking about. Mm -hmm. It was just, I had the concepts and things he's talking about. I'm thinking, I don't even know how to apply some of this stuff. But he is so excited about it. Yeah. I want to be like that when I get old like him. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. <laughs> he was I probably 50, he was 50 years old. Yeah. I met him at 24 when he was 64. And Gary, how many cards did you ever get from him handwritten? Like he was yes. the ultimate giver of attention. Like he, I remember one time I spoke at the American Academy. I've only been in the Restorative Academy one time. And I was sweating. I think I wet my pants, the whole thing. Like it was so nerve wracking. And he was the first to hug me. And he's like, great speech. I don't like your graph though. <laughs> and he, he didn't ask anything about business. It was like, how's your wife doing? Good to see you. He cared a lot and um, it made an impact. When, when, when we bought his first book and I took it to something, and maybe it was when we were at Panky for something, but I, and I drove up to St. Pete, but I took the book and went to say hi. And I said, um, I'd just love to have you sign this for Cheryl and I. And he wrote this thing in it and it says at the beginning, it said, I'll never forget this because he wrote on there, it said, um, to Gary and Cheryl, um, two of the finest human beings I've had the pleasure to add to my friends. The next line is the one that gets you. He wrote, I expect great things from you. Ooh. And he signed it. Put a little expectations and, on you. Well, you know, I remember, I remember, cause that, cause that, that actually means two things. 
it means I know you knowing having known Pete up to then, it means I know you can do this. You're mm-hmm. going to go do whatever it takes to, to have that happen. Yeah. It's not, it wasn't, I didn't feel a responsibility and I didn't feel a challenge. I felt what you, I felt this, I felt the hug. Mm-hmm. That's what I felt. Just like you felt that hug. Yeah. So having met both of those people and both of them have taught me kind of the same thing in two different areas. Pete taught me, you be the best you can be clinically because that's all you're ever going to be satisfied with to be the best you can be. And, and by the way, you know, it was never be the best in the world. It was none of that. It was be the best you can be, but always ask questions, be willing to, to hear. I mean, one of his most profound statements ever, for those of you who have never heard it, if you quote me, date me. Yeah. What did he just say? I reserve the right to change my mind about anything I tell you that I believe today, because I am open to hearing what everybody else is experiencing and hearing that. And Jim taught me to count everything from day one. So here's a number that I can tell you. Mm -hmm. I discovered over all those years in Pemberville that patients who came in for a comprehensive evaluation with Cheryl or I, so that means that they had a dental question, okay? 94% of them within 24 months had done their dentistry or were in process. Wow. So you counted all, you, you tracked all that. I've been tracking it since day one because Jim gave me papers to track it on. Mm -hmm. He gave me trends sheets. I mean, I remember this. I I said, I was a pride client before I ever owned a dental practice by far. I mean, I, Jim taught me all stuff. When I was working as an associate, I had trends sheets that I would record for myself to keep track of. And then I would remember things and, you know, that, that, that patient decided what was different about that patient. Why did they do the dentistry? What did I do differently? And and you can't do that unless you track what happened because you forget. Mm -hmm. And if you track what happened, then you do things and you try something a little differently. You know, this one I took pictures in on. I wonder if that, and they said, yes, I could tell it felt different. I mean, you get, you get my point. That's what Jim taught me. So one of the things that I learned was that there is a real difference between those two people. The other big difference with this, someone who has a significant dental issue they claim is always open to the possibility that there might be things they don't know about yet. Yeah. Because they have something going on already. There may be things they're not aware of. I don't have to, I don't have to climb the hill to go over to the other side. Like I do with people who believe they're healthy. If that's my belief, me just pointing things out to you, you know, you have cracks on teeth and da, 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 da. And they're going, of course I do in their Mm -hmm. brain. And that's what he's telling me about. So what? Right. I'm healthy. Right. It's different. Can you recognize that? Recognize that walking in. And by the way, even if you change nothing else, even if you change nothing about how you bring new patients in, I promise you it will change the experience of those two. Mm -hmm. Because you already know something about them, about what they believe. It's not about what they have. I also found there was no correlation to the amount of time since the patient has been to see a dentist and what they believe about themselves. Zero. There was none. I couldn't correlate that at all. People who hadn't been a dentist for 25 years often still thought they were healthy. Yeah. In fact, the same percentage. And I found it was probably like 95% of patients called our office and believed they were healthy. Yeah. And the reason we decided to bring them in two different ways was we couldn't fill our goals because I went, I went started, everybody had to come in for a visit with Cheryl or I. You couldn't get into our practice unless you did that. I could not put people's butts in the chair. And Lisa was spending an hour on the phone talking to him about why that was in their best interest and how wonderful it is. <laughs> Lisa made this comment after we changed things. And she said, that has been the most significant change in my time spent 
than anything else we have ever done. Because I no longer, I'm, I'm willing to have people come however they want to come. Right. And even when we had gotten to capacity, and I will tell you for most of my practice career, if you called and you wanted to schedule a healthy new patient visit, those were the shortest time I remember after the first two years of starting that was seven months. The longest was 14 months wow. where our schedule, we blocked the schedule always. And it was full. We had patients in the hygiene schedule in all of those blocks. And, and now some people listen to me and go, well, then you need to open up more blocks. And I say, well, no, because Cheryl and I had already answered how much is enough, mm -hmm. which is you have to answer about anything. Right. What do you want? You got to know how much is enough because people say to me, well, why didn't you just add associates? Well, we had already decided that wasn't, we didn't want to do that. Right. It wasn't how we wanted to practice. We wanted to have it just be our practice and we like it like this and it's enough. Right. I can't be everybody's dentist. I don't want to be everybody's dentist. Totally. I mean, that's we one of the people. Yeah. That's one of the biggest things, Gary, don't you think is you just got to choose. You got to choose your future. And you also mentioned before. And it has to be okay to choose. Yeah. And you were talking about the possibility principle and I haven't read the Caballion. And then you mentioned another book, uh, another book as a man thinking just like conditioning your thinking. It opens up into intimate, uh, infinite, not intimate, infinite possibilities. Can you explain that? Yeah. The oldest one of those is the Caballion. And actually it's just, it's uh it's written by um, the three initiates right. is, is how it's always titled. And it's been a text that's been around for, you know, long, long, long time. And it's about the balance in the world between levels of existence, if you will, and perception. And it talks about how vibrations occur across all of them. And the next one that I read that I kind of thought it's the same thing was as a man thinketh. And that one is that your thoughts shape your world. And then my favorite line out of that is, you know, that you, you, you will rise to the heights of your highest aspiration and you will sink to the lows of your basest thought. Yeah. You create what happens by what you believe. Right. And then the last book, the one that you just talked about, puts it into, it ties it into quantum mechanics. And in quantum mechanics, from any single incident, an infinity of possibilities is possible. It's not, you can't say it's this or this. It can be anything that could happen in either of those two things. Um, I, I can be both a particle and a wave. Yeah. Now, now roll <laughs> that. At the same time. Roll that into and the how I'm perceived will change what outcome comes from some action that happens. Anyway, my point is it's the same thing as what I'm reading in this. It's what do you believe? And I kept thinking, and it's why I made that mindset thing. And it's why I, why I said, if you want to change the minds of the people who come to your practice about dental benefit plans, which is one I hear all the time, whose minds have to change first? It it's ain't gotta, them. It's got to be it's ours. Us. So go a little bit deeper on that. Now explain that. Gary, you don't understand. I'm a 32-year-old dentist, and I've got 100% of my practice PPO. And I'm in this really tough area. What do you suggest? So here's the important thing to remember. What? Was your decision to be in the PPO a clinical excellence decision or a business decision? Mm. Good question. It's never a clinical excellence decision. No, it's not. Keep going, though. Where are, you go where are you headed with this? Like Cheryl, Cheryl says hi, and she has a patient today. Cheryl's almost done, but she's heading out to see a patient today. Hi, Cheryl. Kirk Barrett <laughs> says hi, Cheryl. <laughs> she's the best. 
<laughs> so see you later. <laughs> All right. So let's go back. So what? The, yeah. Uh, so you're talking about the decision to, um, oh, you know, clinical you. excellence or the PPO. So let's think of it this way. See, to me, there, there is no good or bad. My, my, my belief had to change about dental benefit plans. They're not evil. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have had several discussions with a person that we all know very well and have both spent a lot of time with over the years who was sort of obsessed with the fact that it was like they were the devil right. and they were Satan and that it was our Christian duty to destroy them. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember saying, well, wait a minute. Helping people take disease from their mouth is not evil. Right. And people creating something that they believe helps that happen is not evil. Right. I believe that there are some permutations of it that could become evil. But I don't think it's evil. Right. And I refuse to think of it that way. And so what 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 I what I learned to do when that became what I believed is is that I don't say bad things ever about dental benefit plans. Who cares? Now, we also never said dental and insurance in the same sentence. And I, I credit Rachel, one of our assistants, for that in a meeting. We're talking about something about talking to patients about um, our, our policies, our beliefs around insurance. And, and Rachel said this. She said, why do we say the word dental and insurance together? In- I lost your audio there for a second. Sorry about that. That's all right. We're both something. Yeah, that's okay. We can can edit that piece out. Yeah, we're good. We're good. Can you hear me? I just lost you. So let me go see why I don't have sound. Okay. I can hear you perfectly. There you are. Now you're back. Somehow, I don't know what I touched. That was totally bizarre. Yeah. All right. Anyway, Rachel said in a meeting, we were talking about how we're talking to patients about benefit plans. And she said, "Um, why do we say the words dental insurance in the same sentence? And I said, I don't know. We never did again. Well, that's not fair. It took right. us a while because any behavior modification, we all have our, our scripts, the things we learned to say, but it didn't take that long. And what was really fun about it, what I recognized in it was all of a sudden people were asking us questions and they were saying, is that, what, is that different than dental insurance? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, insurance is different from a benefit plan. And that, that's why w- when we talk about them, we say dental benefits and a benefit plan because insurance is always about an individual right. or a family but it's always aimed specifically at someone. Benefit plans are aimed at groups. And it's like, let's all get together and find a way to assist each other by paying a premium and throwing it all into a pool and then make up some benefits that we get for being in that. Um, And in dental benefits, one of the nicest benefits you get is very often they say, well, if you go and you have hygiene therapy in our practice, that's gonna be something that the benefit plan wants to pay for. Right. Uh, we don't like to use the word cover because it sounds like insurance, but it's not insurance. Right. It's a benefit plan. I love benefit plans. I think they're wonderful. You know, I believe that anybody with a benefit plan is getting assistance toward whatever level of dental health they've decided is right for them. So I look them in the eye and I say that. 100%. And I have so yeah. much of my career and anybody on the team could do it. We love dental benefit plans because yeah. dentists love this one. So many of us have the experience where a patient comes in and say, I have this dental insurance, but it sucks. Mm-hmm. We all have had that happen. And what we all want to say is, yeah, they all suck. Right. I don't believe that because I don't think they suck. Why? They don't suck. And then let me go further on this. If I was designing a benefit plan, I would have higher aspirations for the things that it could provide for people. 
but it's just the business. And so it provides whatever it provides. Mm -hmm. And so my belief is it isn't good or bad, right or wrong. It's just what it is. I'm excited that you have a benefit plan to give you assistance toward whatever level of health you've decided is right for you. Could you help me clearly understand what level you've decided on for yourself? And then I look people in the eye and I don't look away because I'm waiting for an answer. So far in my life, no one has been able to just answer that question. Yeah. They just look at me. Mm -hmm. Then they eventually look away and, and then they say something like this if they speak. I didn't know I had to make a choice. By the way, my recommendation is I've been fortunate in this. Things just pop into my head. As soon as they say that, let them claim it and say, aren't you glad you can? Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Now we can talk. You know, the whole deal of this is, think if I, if I say they all suck, I just implied to that person that it should do something that it doesn't do. And now, out of righteous indignation, I may choose not to do dentistry that should be paid for. Yeah, that should right. be paid for. Right. When, in fact, when people say they should pay for something to me, if it's a benefit plan, I always say, why? Mm -hmm. Why? Why should they pay for that? Because I need it. Oh, that's, that's not what it's designed for. Yeah. If it was what you needed, imagine this. If you have homeowner's insurance, do you have a home? Yes. Kirk, you own a home? Yes. You have a homeowner. Okay, you have a homeowner's insurance, right? If you go home today, nobody was home. All the kids are out. Your wife's out doing business. They all come home. You all arrive together. The house is burned to the ground. Mm -hmm. You have homeowner's insurance. What's going to happen? They're going to come out. They're going to look. Yep. Go ahead. No, they're going to come out What's and look, assess the situation and determine a fair replacement cost, you know, for what they and think. Gonna, and then they're going to build you whatever you decided to insure them at whatever level for. Right. They'll decide, can we do that? But they'll, they'll build you a house. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Yeah. See, if you had a homeowner benefit plan that was like a dental benefit plan, it would never be designed to do that. It would be like they'd come out, they'd see the house burnt to the ground, and they'd reach in their pocket and they'd pull out a check for a thousand dollars. And they would say, Here, here, we want to contribute toward your rebuilding of this and making it become a home again. And we feel really, really strongly about home health. So every year we're going to come out twice and wash all the windows for you. Yeah. Because we think that's important. And most people would kind of chuckle at that. And then, and then I would say, Insurance is really about me as an individual. You don't have the same life insurance as I do. It's very different because we design it as we need to. Same homeowners. I know you don't have the same car insurance as me because mm -hmm. I drive fast and I get caught, <laughs> which is true. So I can say that. And, and insurance is always about me. Benefits yeah. never about me. Benefits are about a group. I think it's wonderful you're going to get some help. And then I stop talking so they can express anything they you know, think. And by the way, when somebody says to me, I only want what the insurance will pay for, I hear that. Yeah. And then if you have, if you really feel strongly about that, try to do, I did this a number of years ago when I was still involved with Delta Dental, which is the only one we were ever involved with. For those of you who don't know, our younger dentist, did you know that Delta Dental was invented by dentists? The company was created by dentists yep. to provide for a higher level of benefits so that better dentistry could be done for patients. Interesting. They must not have read Frankenstein. 
So they didn't have that concept in mind. But baby, <laughs> it became something different than what it was intended. So yeah. having said that, that's as negative as I'll be about a dental benefit plan. I love dental benefit plans. I'm happy we have them. By the way, here's how I can love them. Every patient in your practice, if you practice in the United States, has the right to step out of that benefit plan, even if you're in a PPO that they are in and pay you any fee they want for any service that you will agree to provide for them. 100%. Which means that you do not have to change the dentistry you talk to people about if they're in a benefit plan. Yeah, You don't. They have to decide if it's worth investing in you doing something that you can't afford to do within that benefit plan. Yeah. And the problem that I see most of the time in dentists having benefit plans is that they feel tied into what they have to do. By the way, I'm fine if a patient who comes and tells me aesthetics is really, really important to them. And in fact, they want Michelle Monnier to do their ceramics because they read about this guy. Those of you who don't know Michelle Monnier, mm -hmm. you probably have heard of his little brother, Pascal. Pascal. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you know Pascal, let me just tell you that the reason Pascal is famous is because of Michelle because Michelle did all the ceramics that you look at in any of his books. Wow. Michelle is the artist. And that's what really how he got recognized early in his career was, oh my God, these things look like teeth. Mm -hmm. So having said that, let me tell you, Pascal is and one of the most smartest men I ever met in my life. He's a close friend and a wonderful friend. And he's an incredible man on his own. But Michelle is the ceramist who was the artist. Still is. If I come to you and you're, I found you in my Delta book, and, and I say, you know, I came to you and, and it doesn't, that's not belittling to me as a patient. I'm, you're in my book. So yeah. I'm going to go to you. And I say, I got these two caps that were placed when I was uh, 21 years old because I broke the teeth and I, you know, they, they just don't look good. And I, I was reading about this, this guy in Southern California, Michel Manier. I want him to do these next two. And so would you be the dentist who does these with him? And I will tell you, by the way, his fees start at 2,500 a unit. Wow. That's not for the whole thing. That's just the unit fee. Mm -hmm. um, you want models to go with that or scans where they have to print a model or that all gets added in. Yeah. Um, and by the way, if it's in central incisors, it's actually more than that. Wow. As a starting fee. If it's a single, it's twice to three times that because he knows he's going to have to do multiples. Here, here's my point in this. Is he worth that? Well, there's only two people who can decide that, the patient in the chair and you as the clinician. Yep. And here would be the fun part. If you recognize that anybody can opt out, I could say if it was you, Kirk, coming to me, and I'd say, oh, my God, Kirk, I know who he is. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm honored that you would ask me to be able to work with him. It's an honor. Yeah. I cannot wait to be able to do this with you. Now, your benefit plan is designed for average. And you have already made it perfectly clear to me that average is not going to cut it for you. I celebrate that with you. Yeah. So what we're going to do is um, I'm going to quote you a fee based on his lab fees, or I will quote you a fee for my time to be a partner in this with you, and I'll hand you his lab fee. I can tell you that his lab fee for those two front teeth is going to be a minimum of $12,000. That will be yeah. his lab fee for that but you will get what you're after, which is teeth that look unbelievably like teeth. You see my point in this? You can do that. That is totally legal. Yeah. In fact, in every state in the US, all you have to do is write down the service you're providing 
and have instructions from your patient not to submit for that, that you are paying for it. Yeah. And dentists often say to me, well, nobody will do that. I get at least one email a week from somebody who says, I talked to a patient about this because we were they wanted to do this. And I mean, they were enthusiastic. Yeah. There was, there was no, there was no pushback. Now, let me they, ask they you, for it. I love this conversation. I have this conversation all the time. I think there's two things that I, and you can totally disagree with me on this because I, I love where you're going. Number one, the bottom line in any dental practice is not insurance. I completely agree. Like bashing insurance is not a good thing. You should celebrate. Amen. It's, it's the percentage of dentistry or patients that pay your full fee. That's the bottom line. How many people come in and give you full fee for what you do? That's a great question. The second one is this. We teach dentists just celebrate insurance. Say, hey, listen, I'm going to send your dentistry to the best of the best. You want the best? His name is Manier. And here's my fee and his fee. And how cool is this? This is so cool. Your insurance is going to cover this much. This is your fee. That is as simple as you make it. Any challenges with that thinking? The only thing with that one is that you can't file for benefits if they sign that form. Right. So they have to specifically. However, remember, they're only signing away their benefits for that service. Right. They still have benefits for anything else they need that you choose not to put on that list. Right. So the only time it becomes they have no benefits, if you will, is either if they've maxed out or they don't need any other dentistry than that. Mm -hmm. Other than hygiene therapy visits. Right. And by the way, that's another one. You want to change the belief. You want to change patients' mindsets around around dental hygiene, please stop saying the word cleaning, will you? Please yes. stop saying that. It's a totally demeaning word. In fact, this was the shtick that we came up with over the years. When everybody would say, I need to get my teeth clean. Our knee-jerk response, everybody in the office had this knee-jerk response. Well, cleaning is what you do every day at home. Yeah. We would say that cleaning is what, you, what somebody does in your office after you guys leave. <laughs> so same kind of thing. Well, actually, I didn't want to demean it that much. Okay. <laughs> it's still a good thing. Yeah. And that, that makes, so I, so I can understand that you could say, clean, however you choose to do it. Right. I chose not to go with that one. Truth is I thought of the other one first, but that one would work too. Yeah. Cause you're saying no cleaning is just, I'm going to give it some credit for what you do at home. Cleaning is what you do at home every day. And then if I knew they did well, I would say, and the hygienist tell me how wonderful you do at that. Thank you for being my partner and getting what you're after. Yeah. When you come for hygiene therapy, way more than that is happening. Even yeah. anything you would do in cleaning will do. Might use different tools, but there's way more stuff than that happening while you're here. Yeah. Well, let's let's Talk do that. Yeah. I have so many of these topics I want to cover with you, but I want to let's do this. Any last thoughts you have on just changing your thinking? on this whole subject. And I also want you to talk about the courses that you guys teach in this segment you teach on okay. facially generated treatment plan. So, so the things that I've just brought up about changing your own belief and your own mindset are kind of my last on the last day I get the afternoon with, with people. And I, I talk about the process of facially generated treatment planning, which was a process of looking at things that was created by Frank and then treatment planning from those observations. So, it's aesthetics, function, structure, and biology, or EFSB is how we observe. Today, we're going to plug an A ahead of it. We call it AEFSB, which means that prior to those dental considerations, we are looking at how people breathe and at any considerations structurally around that that might cause them 
to have an issue about breathing, if you will. And then we go still through the dental the same way. We're going to go through those same things. Actually, here's how I would kind of say it. The biggest difference is this. When I first learned this from Frank and I learned the facial, the aesthetics part, we were looking at teeth in this plane, in the coronal view. I'm going to look right here. What do I see? How would I do that? And yeah, in the back, we were widening things out, which turned out to be an airway positive thing. Okay, we're widening the base of the, of the nose. But we didn't think anterior posterior. Today, there's a big component of, well, also aesthetics is where does the, where does the face go? Mm -hmm. And for most of us as dentists, it, it got to how we were trained. The first thought is not how do I change a skeleton. It's how do I work within what I have and make the teeth look nice in that space and work well. And today we challenge that a little further. So the airway part is to say, is there some indication that something about the ability to breathe could play a role in some of the things that we're seeing and could differences in aesthetic placement of teeth relative to that skeleton make a difference in that? So we think about that. Treatment planning is almost always going to go backwards because you start with biology. You got to deal with biology first. And in fact, when you get to the biological observations and then talk about what you might have to do, it plays back into what's possible to do right? in some of these other ones. And the same thing with the structural component and then function. And then my belief is that if all of those things flow, the aesthetics is an outcome of that. From all of this, then we make a decision. We make patients aware of everything that we see. I would recommend that you do not tell people what dentistry you're going to do ever until you stop talking and wait. <laughs> and I mean, get, let it get uncomfortable. Right. Because you've just told them a whole bunch of things that you have concerns about. And you're going to say it that way. I have some concerns about several observations we made. Here are some things that I observed. And you go through all this stuff and then just look at them and stop talking. Now, if they don't move, you have to stimulate a conversation. So this is exactly what I would say. This has never changed since the first time I had to ask it. Kirk, mm -hmm. what, if anything, do you believe are the first thing or things that we should be acting on about what you and I just discovered together? That's brilliant. And look them in the eye and don't look away. I didn't say you have to do anything. I didn't recommend anything. Now, there's a downside to this. If it was a long discussion and they look back at you and go, well, um, um, could you repeat that? Just know that it's going to happen, <laughs> which means sometimes you have to paddle upstream a little bit. Oh um, when they say that, my almost normal, unless, unless I do have, I think, okay, I can manage this. I can go back and I can go through and I'm still going to be okay on time. If I'm already short on time, I say, well, Kirk, were there any specific areas that, that you were interested in that you're asking me that reason for the reason for that? And then if they say no, all of it, I might have to waltz my way out of having to go through all of it again somehow. And you get my point here. I do. That was not, not common, though. Usually they would answer something. They would say something. Ask a question about something. Well, is that really bad? And they might say, well, what should I do? By the way, I'm going to offer you this one, and you'll hear it from me if we ever come spend time with me. Whenever somebody says, what should I do? You need to escape that noose because they just put a noose around your neck. Mm -hmm. They just made you totally responsible for anything that you recommend. I don't want to be responsible for what I recommend other than in making it happen. Right. 
I don't want to be responsible for whether or not they do it, which is what they did if they say, what should I do? They just gave me all the power. I hate that power. I don't want that power. Mm-hmm. Kirk, you can choose to do anything you want. You really can. That's my belief and my mindset. I will love you anyway. Right. So what I immediately say is, this can become a knee-jerk response for you too. I would love to spend some time talking about what you could do. That's awesome. Then stop talking for a moment. Now go ahead and say what you would do mm-hmm. if you they would agree to be your partner in it. It totally changed the dynamic for me. Yeah. And the story that I love to tell again, you'll hear this if you come spend time with me in facially generated treatment planning, is that I learned that from a very good friend of mine who became a wonderful patient. And he had asked me at the end of our visit, he came for a comprehensive evaluation, which for me was going to be just with me. By the way, initial exam and comprehensive evaluation are just semantic words. So we knew the mindset of the person coming to the practice had nothing to do with what's going to happen. For me, that word only said, here's who we think is walking in the door. Right. This person thinks they're healthy. Initial exam. This person thinks they have significant issues. Comprehensive evaluation. That, that just tells me who they believe they are. Um, he, he came for a comprehensive evaluation and we were having the discussion. He came back to the office because I did models for him because there were some things I couldn't answer functionally. And so we gathered casts and had all that stuff. And we came back. I went over all the things and I stopped talking and he said, well, what do you think I should do? And because I knew him, I made an assumption that he was asking me a question because he wanted to do something. So I answered it. He disappeared from the practice. Now, I couldn't help but see him in town and stuff, and I didn't say anything. He just, when on the way out, he kind of, he said, well, you know, I, I really need to go home and think about this. And then on the way out, he said, you know, to Lisa, he said, well, um, I'll call you back when I, when I know my schedule. <laughs> okay. He hasn't even had a profi yet. Yeah. So he just disappeared. And I had, didn't have an opportunity for about a year to kind of be in a situation where we were together because I didn't want to kind of go find him and hunt him down. I, you know, I'm. We were in the hardware store in town, which is a farm store, and they're on this giant long row, and there's nobody else in the row. And I'm I'm looking for something, and he walks right up by me. He's looking for something, and you know, he said hi to me as he was coming in because we always said hi, and we were always cordial. And so he's looking for something right where I'm looking for something. I don't remember what it was, but I finally I said, you know, can I ask you a question? And he said, of course. And I said, you disappeared from the office. What did I do or not do? Mm-hmm. And he got this, this look on his face, um, and he said, I'll never forget this. He said, well, you know, I, I asked you what I should do, and you told me all that stuff, and I just, I just didn't think I was ready to do that, and I was kind of embarrassed because I like you and I trust you, and I just I'm not ready to do that. And I realized I'm hanging this guilt on people without even realizing I'm not, t- I'm not giving it to them. Right. I don't think they should do it. I never said that again. Yeah, I'm never going to say what you should do. I refuse to be responsible for what you should do. And, and this is my own issue in my mind. I'm not going to do that. Right. I would love to talk about what you could do. Now, that's the kind of stuff that I try to help people walk away from because here's what I've learned. Whenever you learn something that excites you clinically, because you're going to be a better dentist when you go home. Yep. yep. You go home and you immediately begin to share your enthusiasm and excitement with others. And unfortunately, in the way we were trained, that means telling them about dentistry because that's what is the answer to the question that comes up. Right. Most of the people you go back and get excited with ain't ready to be excited with you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's disappointing. And I want you to go home and be successful. 
It's just like this whole exam thing we're going to talk about. Please don't waste your time or theirs by doing this whole big thing on everybody where you schedule 90 minutes and they don't have hygiene involved because most of them just think they're healthy and want to get their teeth cleaned. And if they're, if they're that other person who would do something different and you learn that while they're there, almost all of them will do something different. Yeah. But not all of them. You're and exactly if, right. To me, that, to me that, that's what I get to do in facially generated treatment planning. I teach with three incredible people, um, Greg Kinzer, Jeff Rouse, and Cheryl DeWood. We have an orthodontist always in that workshop because the number one thing that people take from this is, God, a whole lot more of my patients would benefit from ortho. And the truth is I've asked this of people who claim that as what they learned. And I say, well, did you walk in already think that, but being afraid to believe it because you didn't want to talk about it? And most people would own up to that and say, yeah, I didn't, just didn't want to go there. Yeah. I get that. Totally get that. That is so powerful, so, buddy. Well, I want people to thanks. check this out and you are amazing. Now, I got to have you back again and again. I have like 90 more questions. I'm not kidding. Like I got other things I want to ask you. And as you guys can see, or you're already listening to, this guy's a deep thinker. He's a sharp dude. So can I get you to commit to come back? Kirk, I will do anything to be able to spend time with you because <laughs> it's always so much fun oh. and, and I love it. Thank you also for what you do. People wow. who get to spend time with you are lucky people, especially if they're dentists. Hey, I appreciate everything you do for, for dentistry. Thanks for that. Well, my, I mean, it's pretty easy to figure out who I am and what I do. I'm not that smart. I just surround myself with people like you and ask good questions. That's what I do. That's my jam. So, well, um, just, just know that that works from my end too. And you're one of those other ones. Okay. Yeah. You're one of my smart people. Okay. Well, you can keep saying that, but we're that's good. We're good. We're good like that. So Gary, stick around while you, while I say goodbye to everybody else, but thank you guys yeah. for listening to the best practices show podcast. If you enjoyed today, which I know you did just do us a favor and hit the share button. Now our writers are going to put all of this information that Gary mentioned in the show notes. So if you didn't take notes, don't worry, we're taking them for you. So you can just flip up to the notes in Spotter, Stitcher, iTunes. There's going to be links to Facially Generated Treatment Plan and the other things that he mentioned, and we'll take you right there. We're going to make learning as easy as possible for you guys. So keep sending us suggestions. I get them all the time from you guys, and I'll have Gary back, and we'll ask him the tough questions. Uh, and until we see you guys next time, keep watching or keep listening to the best practices show. You guys enjoy the rest of your day. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm going to spend the rest of my professional life finding great information so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody.